0: I just want to encourage you. During this time of spring, when you see new life coming forth, to invite your friends to church and invite them to life groups because right now is is a great opportunity to go to your friend's house to let them know you love them, you care about them and bring them over for a barbecue, a Bible study and some fellowship. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So as the world is thinking about getting outside because you know spring has sprung and we Chicagoans make the most out of it, invite people to church, invite them to life groups. Today's message is... Is grief turned to joy. How many can say at one time you were at a grieving time in your life, didn't know Jesus, you were sad, you had your frown, but since meeting Jesus, he turned your frown upside down and you got some joy. Can anybody relate to that? Come on. This is what we're going to talk about today and why Jesus did this for us. Jesus was God all by himself in the sense of being with the Father and Son, I mean the Father and the Spirit. So he's God, he has it within himself, and he doesn't need anything. He has all that he needs, but he comes to earth, and he makes us in his image, and yet gives us free will, and we sin. And the story doesn't end there. He comes back to earth here in the flesh to die on the cross for our sins. We're in the book of John reading verse by verse, and we're now at this point where Jesus is going to explain to them the crescendo of why this is happening. He's going to be using imagery and the thoughts of the Old Testament here now in front of them to help them grasp what's going on. Look at John sixteen sixteen. John chapter 16, verse 16 says, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Now think about this. In the Garden of Eden, they had seen God, then they had sinned, and then they see God again. But this time, when they see God again, what do they do? They run from God, and they cover themselves in leaves, and they're ashamed. How many remember that story in the Bible? God created Adam and Eve, He's with them, the Bible says, walking with them in the cool of the day. Then, they, then he goes back to heaven. Then they sin, and he comes to earth. But when he comes back to visitate with them, now they run away. Now they're afraid. Jesus is using that imagery here, and he's saying, right now you see me. But in a little while, you will see me no more. And then a little while after that, you'll see me again. But this time, instead of running away scared, instead of running away in sin, they're now going to be running to Jesus because he took away their sins. Are you all tracking with me? Come on, think about this. Jesus is using this imagery of the Garden of Eden now being restored. Just quickly put in a new tab for me, John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Are you guys tracking here? Look at this. In him was what? Life, and that life was the light of what? All mankind. That's the beginning of this gospel. When Adam was just a sandman, who breathed in life into him? Jesus, the Word, the pre-incarnate Son, breathed life into Adam. And then as life came into Adam, light of his conscience came on. The light of the conscience of humanity is what separates us from the animals that have the breath of life. You have the breath of life just like your dog. You ever seen your dog pant? It's taking in and out life. It's taking in and out oxygen. But that animal does not have the light of God. Now, some people say this is the spark of the divine, and that means we're all somehow part of God. That's taking it too far. Just understand this, that the conscience we have is the light of God in us. It's not a part of Him. It's just how He turns us on so that we can see Him and to know Him. And so when you know your Creator, you will know yourself. As the old saying goes, know thyself. But the knowing of self is not possible without knowing thy Creator. You don't really know yourself without your creator. You don't know why the light turned on. And then look at verse 5 because here is that little twist of the story. The light shines in the what? In the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So even though Mankind was meant to live forever in the presence of God perfect in body soul and spirit when they sinned their spiritual connection with God died the glory was taken from them they then realized they were naked as if you were looking at a light bulb that was bright and on you can't read the the, the logo there whether it 's from GE or another company but when it 's off then you can see the writing when the glory of the Lord was on them they weren't paying attention to their physical parts and their naked body but when the light turned off. They got to see that. And out of that shame of darkness, they try to cover themselves. And then God says, why are you hiding? And all of these things progress from there. Are you tracking with me? And John is teaching us here that even in the midst of darkness, the light of Christ was still shining. There was still their conscience. There was still a connection there. Though they were not connected in the same way, in a divine relationship type of way, God was not abandoning mankind and that's why when you go to the next story of Cain and Abel as we've talked about in our second service as we're going verse by verse through the book of Hebrews you see Abel knew how to do the right thing and Cain did but he didn't do it and then out of jealousy he kills his brother and as you track through humanity up into what we'll be talking about today the story of Noah darkness was on the earth but even during that time of moral darkness the light of God was still shining in somebody's conscience. Somebody was around to receive it. Can I hear an amen? Noah was a righteous man, the Bible says. And so now, go back to our, our context right here. Jesus is saying to them, he's on earth. Think about this. He's come to them now, and he's in flesh like how Adam and Eve had flesh. He's entered in his creation. Let's just go back. I'm so sorry. Go back to John 1, and now scroll down to 14. So just to connect it, because I see some visitors here who have not been here, I think, with, the, with for the what? The last 20 weeks we've been in John. So just to catch everybody up here, review is for you. Look at what it says. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Highlight on that Greek word dwelling, please. That Greek word. Word there literally means to tabernacle, to pitch a tent right next to you. Jesus put his RV next to us. He pitched his tent among us. When he put on flesh, he put on the earth suit to come dwell with us and be like us. And, that, and, and now listen, because John's writing after the fact now. John's starting chapter 1, already knowing the end of his book, right? And now he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now let's go back to where we are in the middle of the story of Jesus' earthly life. While the disciples are still getting this understanding, Jesus says to them, in a little while you will see me, see me no more. That's going to be the crucifixion. Then after a little while you will see me. And looking back at the Garden of Eden, he's there. They're chilling. Then he goes away for a little bit. They sin. And then he comes back and they run away. This time, he's going to go away and he will pay for their sins. And when he comes back, instead of them running away from God, they're going to be running to him to be clothed in glory, to be clothed in that light that they once had, that humanity once had. Amen? Amen. Come on, get, get deep here. Understand what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is tying together the missing pieces. He's he's teaching us why the crucifixion is so important. Now, at this time, some of his disciples said to one another. I mean, see, they don't get it yet. John is writing this gospel already knowing. He already knows the end. But now follow through the narrative here. They said to one another, what does this mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more then after a little while you will see me and because i'm going to the father they kept asking what does he mean by a little while we don't understand what he is saying but how many understand what he is saying now Because you've read the Bible. You've read the end of the gospel. Now, verse 19, they're just getting it right now. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, Then, after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. Come on, somebody say joy. Joy. Amen. Joy will come out of their grief. Now notice this, brothers and sisters. The world will rejoice when they're sad. And then when we're glad, it doesn't say it there, but we see it in other passages, they get sad. You see, the world is the opposite of the Christian. The world is the opposite on the spectrum of emotion and where they're supposed to be. The Bible says what they call good, he calls evil. What he calls evil, they call good. How many have seen that before? And see, the world is confused over what the plan is here. And he's explaining it to them. Don't you get confused when you see their reaction, their response. Don't think that they have it right. You're actually having it right. And so we can apply this to our lives and see that when the world is rejoicing over homosexuality and transgenderism and over uh, these kinds of social changes, when they're rejoicing over this, we're grieving. How many have grieved over the social changes that are happening in our culture? Uh, there was a, a state, because now states can make decisions about abortion. There was a state, I believe it was Oklahoma, that was right on the line about making it illegal abortion like they have done in other states. But yet it got struck down and so it's still legal. And uh, Brother Juan had shared this picture, if someone can get Brother Juan, I want to know what state that was, please, had shared this picture, and it was them rejoicing, tears of joy streaming down their face that they now could continue to murder their children. Somebody say, God have mercy. You see, that's how the world rejoices, but how many know we grieve over that? We're not okay with that. We're not going, oh, man, that's so awesome we get to kill our children. No, we're sitting back going, God, have mercy. And then at the same time, when the states like Texas and Louisiana and others outlawed abortion, we were rejoicing, and then they were what? They were weeping. They were sad. One was that in Oklahoma? You had shared that? Yeah, just check it out for me, that post that you shared. Can you find it for me, though? Google it for me. I want people to pray for this state because it was so close. Everyone here understand this. The world does not know how to filter their emotions through the things of God. They only filter it through the flesh. So think about now specifically what Jesus is saying about the crucifixion. They are going to look at Jesus and mock him while he's on the cross while the disciples are weeping. Just get this in your heart for a moment. I think so often even as Easter has passed us that we we forget the actual factual reality of what was happening there. Just imagine your father or your mother or somebody you love so dearly hanging naked, beaten on a cross that they've been nailed to and as you're weeping for the loss, imagine people cheering. Thank you. It was Idaho. Let's stop and pray. Lord, we pray for Idaho to make abortion illegal and for the death of the unborn to stop in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. What is this? Yes, upholds abortion. No, no, this one upholds it. This, this one is saying it upholds the bans, correct? Correct. We're looking for the one that struck down the bans. So if everybody confirm now if Idaho you can get an abortion. I want to know this. If they're doing the right thing, we pray for Idaho, but I want to know. I think it was Oklahoma, but I want to know what state it was. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Thank you. Brothers and sisters, going back to our scripture. Imagine this person you love. Your mother, your father, your son, being crucified, and you're sitting here watching this like, this is horrific. I can't imagine this happening, but just imagine if you can for a moment, my mother, my father, my wife, my son, Lucas. And imagine while you are there looking at them, people are right next to you spitting on them. Spitting on them. Mocking them, ridiculing them. The one you love. This is worse than mocking at a funeral. Yes, this is what I was talking about. This was Kansas Amendment aimed at restriction abortion, fails with no vote. And looking at them, shouting, This is thank you, my brother. And that was the post you had shared, one. Thank you, Father. We pray for Kansas. We thank God for Idaho doing the right thing, but we pray for Kansas. To make abortion illegal and to save the lives of the unborn in Jesus' name. Just keep that up there right now, please. Just, Just as an example. Keep this up there. What are they shouting about? They're shouting about the death of unborn children. Can I do a little PG-13 and show you an aborted baby here? Parents, I'll give you a few moments as we look it up. Please get an aborted baby to put up there. And then parents, if you need to hide your children, that's, that's going to be understandable. But I want you to see what they're shouting with joy over. What they can shout with joy over is absolutely disgusting. How could you shout with joy and excitement to dismember children inside of the womb. How could you be so happy for something that is literally a bloody mess, a dismembering of a body, a decapitating oftentimes of the head, a removing limb by limb of those precious lives of children, as we see the images here coming up of aborted children. How can we rejoice? How can they rejoice over these things? Just pick one, my brother. Pick this one in the hand right here. Pick this one right here. Thank you. How can they rejoice over this? This disgusting image. But it's even worse when they do it towards Jesus, isn't it? Because it's the creator. It's the very one who made us. And yet, Jesus said, they will be so happy as you are grieving. Brothers and sisters, do not think it's strange. Thank you. Look at what they rejoice over. Look at what they want to celebrate. This is the disgustingness of sin and what it brings us down to. Now, thank you. Going back to our passage, notice what Jesus says to them. The world... The world is going to rejoice while, notice this, while you are weeping and mourning. And I just want to spend a few more moments here. Brothers and sisters, do not think it's strange that when you're grieving over what's happening in the culture, when you are saddened by what's going on and they're rejoicing, don't think that's strange. This is where Christianity has come from. It started, if you think about the death, burial, and resurrection as bringing about the new covenant, it started with people mocking what we would consider to be the greatest event in history. Is it any wonder that they still mock us to today? Is it any wonder that there's an Instagram of gay Jesus and he looks like your typical European Jesus, but he does gay things? Is it any wonder that they do that? But you don't see gay Muhammad, do you? You don't see gay Buddha. Buddha. Why do they take it upon themselves to continually mock Christianity? Why is it they continually to mock and ridicule the Bible as as one Muslim pointed out when the Satanists met uh, last week, they tore the Bible when they met together, but they didn't tear the Quran. they didn't tear the Bhagavad Gita, they didn't tear any of those other books, but they tore up the Bible as a sign of disrespect towards God. You see, brothers and sisters, we were made for this, not to pretend it doesn't, doesn't hurt us, not to pretend that our tears are not real. We're not supposed to try to be like mind over matter. It doesn't hurt me. I'm just going to pretend, no, 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 this is not happening. No, we're really grieving. We're really sad, but we have a promise. And that promise is is that when we grieve, our grief will be turned to joy. That's the promise of God. Though the weeping may endure for the night, joy comes in the morning. The world will not always have the last laugh. We get to rejoice. We get to celebrate. That's why when you see The resurrection of Jesus, it now reminds us of what's going to happen in the end times when the resurrection of the righteous happened. Go quickly with me to the book of Revelation, the end of the book, where it concludes, also written by the Apostle John. Look at Revelation chapter 21. And notice this, then I saw, verse 1, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven for, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And then I heard a voice from the throne saying, I believe this is the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit. So I believe this is the Holy Spirit speaking. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear, hallelujah, from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. Can I hear an amen? Amen. That's where we're going. That's our resurrection. That's our new day. But look at verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death Can I hear an amen to that? I know we're not excited to watch people go to the lake of fire, but can I hear an amen once again? Amen means so be it. Amen means I agree. It's God's earth. It's his planet. He can do with it what he wants. We are his creation. He can do with us what he wants. Who are we to bring an accusation against our God? Who will be the Judge Judy to judge God when we don't like what he does? He is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. It's his way, my friends. Yahweh. It's his way. Now what do we do as his creation? Do we look at him as a big old meanie? Do we say this is so unfair? Why does he create us just to go to hell? No, we see in the middle of this gospel, in the middle of the story, please go there, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. So God gives us a choice. God gave us a choice. Do we want to have life his way, or do we want to have it our way? I want to ask you today, brothers and sisters, to filter your emotions through the things of God. to not rejoice over what they rejoice over if it goes against the things of God. And to grieve over what they rejoice over if it breaks the heart of God. Let it break your heart. Do not accept things as they are and the sense of this is the way it has to be. You see our tears as we go back to the passage, please. Our tears are really coming from a place of a longing for something different, a wishing for change, a hope, a faith. In other words, we're crying because we know it doesn't have to be this way. We're looking at the mother who may be going through very hard times, may, may not see a way to raise their child, but we're, we're, we're seeing the mother choose death instead of helping one of the million of parents who will adopt a newborn that are on a waiting list. So we grieve. Do you understand why we grieve, brothers? Sisters, do you understand? We're grieving because we know there could be a better way. We know that that life could come forth instead of it ending. When we see the one that is sexually confused, as I just learned about a man that was in his 50s, has like four or five kids, and has now declared that he's a six-year-old girl and has now moved in to an elderly family to be raised as a six-year-old girl where he sucks on a bobo and plays with dials, to neglect his family, to shame his children, to live literally in insanity. It was celebrated by the LGBT community. And yet we look at that and we grieve. We go, where's the father? Where is the protector of the home? Where is the one guarding the children and guarding their conscience to keep them from the world? Here he's run off and given up his family to the ways of sin and despair. And we pray for that family. We pray for him. But you see, the world celebrates that and says, oh, look, he's living his truth. And yet there are tears coming down our eyes going, but what about the wife? What about the kids? What about a society? We need to have order. Otherwise we go into chaos. What if when our enemies come, God forbid they come from China or Iran or anywhere, but we pray for these nations. But what happens when our enemy comes? Will we all suck on bobos and pretend we're little girls? And the world lose a nation, a beacon of liberty. Will we become oppressed and slaves, enslaved before we wake up and realize we have an enemy? Not against flesh and blood, but we have a satanic enemy trying to destroy us from within. Godless nations want us to want us to fail. And I'm not saying the United States has done everything right, but brothers and sisters, we need to mourn for this nation so that we could see the tide change and that the morals of God will be uplifted again and that we'll see Christianity not forced on people as a state religion, but made to look beautiful again, as it once did when Billy Graham and others filled up our stadiums and people were proud to call themselves a Christian. A Christ follower. I was uh, watching another uh, episode on uh, Instagram Reels of what's insane in the world. This is why I have to now limit my Instagram uh, app to only 10 minutes, and you can do that. Some people have been with me where I'm adding them on Instagram, and it says your time limit is up, and they're like, oh, what is that? And I'm like, I've set a time limit on this crazy thing because Beside from watching you go to the beach or a barbecue, I have to endure these crazy things. And one of these reels that I was watching was a cussing preacher. And he's dropping F-bombs and all of this. And and it's just taken as normal. And then in the next slide, it was uh, Ben Shapiro or one of these guys talking about a, a woman who claims to be a Christian pornography star. And the world is rejoicing over this. Oh, this is a pastor who gets me, man. You can hear this like from the dudes, you know. Like, man, my pastor gets me, man. He cusses like us. He talks like us. You can see OnlyFan people going, man, I'm so glad this girl's coming out saying she's a Christian because I'm a Christian too. We're all Christians. This is a shame to our, our Bible. This is a shame to the things of God. And yet our culture promotes them and says, hey, guys, be more like this one. I was talking to a Muslim last week as we were preaching the gospel and part of my witness to him was to continually show him how wrong Islam was and he said to me other Christians come around and they never talk about Islam they just answer my questions about Christianity and I said I'm not them you go back and talk to them then but I'm going to show you how Muhammad was a false prophet I'm going to show you from your Quran that this is a disgusting book our religions are not the same I'm not going to be on your talk show just answering your questions in your front yard as if the Christian is always on the defense, I'm going to pull out the sword of the word of God and show you where the truth really lies. Because you think, and I told we even had him read the scripture, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he think he's wise in his own eyes. I said, man, here's the reason why I keep attacking Islam while you're asking me questions about Christianity. It's not to be rude. It's to have you to understand you're not the one to judge this book. You are not the one to act as if you're above this book, like this book gives you an account. Well, I just, I just want to understand, like you're so smart and you're so scholarly. You're following a man who married a six-year-old six girl, consummated the marriage at nine, a pedophile. You mar- you're following a book that says that if a wife doesn't listen to you, you ban her from your bed, and then if she doesn't listen, you beat her. You're acting as if you have a moral high ground over this book, and I won't let you stand on it and pretend you have something over it. I'll show you that unless you stand on the rock of God's word, you are standing on sinking sand. See, but he wasn't used to that. What he thought was, oh, I have Christians come around and they, you know, they entertain me. You know, I asked them this question, explain to me the Trinity, explain this to me. And, and, and I gave him explanations for that. I certainly did. But then he didn't have to give an account for a pedophile prophet. He didn't have to give an account for a book that says you can beat your wife. He didn't have to give an account for a scripture that said that don't take Jews and Christians as your friends, to push them to the sides of the corners, to have jihad until they submit to you or pay the jizya, the tax of oppression. See, he didn't want to have to explain it. And see, the world is the same way. The world will say, well, tell me about this. You know, who did, you know, Cain marry? And then tell me about this and tell me about that. When they can't explain anything from the goo to the zoo to you, when they can't explain how we're different than monkeys and apes and yet somehow they're in cages and we're out here, they can't explain to you why slavery is wrong, but we eat animals. Because if we're all just from the goo to the zoo to you, there is no morality. There's nobody to shake your finger at. So why are you upset with our God when you can't explain any of these moral things? You can't even explain why you're not a monkey or an ape. Because if you would have been born just a few thousand years ago, according to your timeline, that's where you would be today. You see, they don't want to give an explanation. They just want to spout their opinions. And the Bible says that a fool loves to give their opinions. But a person of wisdom listens to godly counsel. And so, brothers and sisters, it's not that we're angry with the world in the sense that we see them personally as our enemy. Jesus said, love them, treat them well. When we were out at the abortion clinic last month, I was speaking to the workers who um, wear their crossing guard vest to help mothers come in and out of that place safely to murder their children, which is kind of an oxymoron. We're protecting murderers. (laughs) Move out of our way. We need the mother to be able to come in here and murder her child. Isn't that crazy? And then I say to them, I say, this mother is the safest she's ever been when I'm around because not only do I want to protect her, not only would I lay down my life for her even though she doesn't like me, but the baby's also safe. You want safety for a murderer to go murder. Wouldn't that be crazy if the police did something like that? Hey, guys, here's the gangbanger. He's going to shoot everybody. Stop traffic. Woo, stop traffic. Okay, go ahead. Shoot, shoot the person. But while we were out there, I was talking to the woman, and she wouldn't greet me. She wouldn't say hi to me. And I said, I want you to understand this. It's not that I'm better than you, but my moral system is better than yours. My moral system teaches me to greet my enemies, to bless those who persecute me. And then I would point out to her, notice how your people walk by And they scream and holler at us. So their supporters, in other words, you know, they're just going to go get a latte or something. And they're just like, oh, what is going on here? Oh, no, it's the Christians again. I call these the yoga pant-wearing cult. They mostly look like me. They're mostly Anglo-European, you know. Oh, my goodness. Oh, can you believe this, Deborah? Oh, no, Barbara. I just can't. Oh, my goodness. Get out of my way. Ah! And then they flick us off. They cuss at us. And then they look at the one supporting the murder of their own kind, the genocide of their own people. And they go, I'm just so appreciative for you. God bless you. or I just love you. Keep it up. And then they just walk away. And then I say, I say, notice how they treat you, but then they treat us. You see, they treat us as the scum of the earth, but notice how we who disagree with you treat you. You see, our followers are better than your followers. Jesus taught us this moral code. This is a part of our conscience. It's what comes natural to us if we're listening to our heart, even among all religions and all people groups. That's why today, even when we mention other religions and we teach them of their, of their secret sins, they're even disgusted by it. And they try to come up with reasons and excuse. Oh, it was acceptable back then for Muhammad to do it. No, it wasn't. It's ne- never been acceptable for a pubescent girl to have sex with a 52-year-old man. That's never been acceptable. Oh, it was ex- in, in India. Oh, it was acceptable back then to have a caste system and to treat people. No, it was never acceptable. As I will be reading today from the book of Genesis, when it talks about the story of Noah, what does the first lesson Noah gets when he gets off the ark? All mankind is made in the image of God. If you shed the blood of a man, then that man must die. Because all mankind is made in the image of God. Light years above hinduism light years above is light years above the the religions of that day in babylon and assyria and so forth in egypt and yet we're looked at as if we don't value the right things no your values have changed even when you see the civil war was it muslims dying to free the south in america Was it Buddhists dying to free the the slaves in the south in America? No, it was Christians killing their own countrymen saying, this must stop and I'm willing to die for it. I'm not saying Christians have always acted right, but who fixed the problems of other Christians doing wrong things? It was the Christians who did it. And so, brothers and sisters, when we look at a world that's in moral chaos, don't be discouraged. You will mourn in this world as the disciples mourned when they saw the crucifixion. But notice this, there is a joy that comes to you. And now that we're looking past the cross, see they were looking before the cross, they were looking towards the cross, we're looking back at the cross, they were looking for it to happen, we're looking back because it happened, we need to trust that God will give us joy. How many today have felt the joy of Jesus? Even in the midst of pain? Even in the midst of ups and downs, you still feel the joy? Amen. Look at verse 21. This is what it's like. Jesus says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. How many women can say amen to painful childbirth? Okay, now you get Jesus' point. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. My wife, by God's grace, has given birth to six children. I've been there for most of them. I only missed one. She was like, you can go home. And then when I went home, I missed it. So I came back and she was already holding the baby. But for the rest, I was there. Do you all still love me? Some of you don't right now, I can tell. Pastor, how could you? I don't know. Just pray for me. But every time, the pain of birth is so real. I, I just, I admire my wife. You know, Mother's Day just was last week. God bless you, mothers. Just what the body does, the pain that they're in. But what happens every time once the baby's out? Joy instantly comes the moment that child hits their chest. The relief, the, the, the presence of that baby brings peace. It's over now. What was once the most horrific, excruciating pain of their life has now been replaced with the greatest joy. How many mothers can say amen to that? Amen. So now look at what Jesus says, verse 22. So with you, now is your time of grief. Everybody say, now is our time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. There's three ways to understand this. The first way, he's restoring what was taken in the Garden of Eden. We've been in misery as a humanity. Up in, uh, we had been in misery up until that point, and now he's going to restore the joy of humanity. There's the actual what's happening there, the death, burial, and crucifixion, disciples being sad and miserable because they watched him die, and then the resurrection. And then for us, the third way to understand it is that now we're in the shadow land waiting for the second coming, waiting for the resurrection of the body, and we're suffering the grief now. But the beauty of this is that our joy can never be taken away. Our joy can never be taken away. The Bible talks about a joy inexpressible, full of glory. And this is the kind of joy that Jesus wants us to have as Christians. It's the joy that... We know that we're hated or knowing that we're persecuted or knowing that things are going wrong or even in our own lives, mistakes that we've made. It's, it's a joy that no matter what we go through, it can't be taken away. So often we think to ourselves, I can only be happy on payday, but I can't be happy, happy on bill day. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on. I know I'm not alone here. It's like we're so happy when that check clears, hits the bank account. You feel like, you know, you're on top of the world. But then that first of the month comes, and then you're, you know, maybe I'll get free here just a little bit because my wife's not here yet for the second service. And then I have to look at the credit card. Now, we pay our debt off every month. We we are wise spenders with that. But it is amazing how much she goes to the penny of our budget. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, these are the dollars you can spend on this, baby. And like every month, it's like, like $3 under, $3 over. I'm like, oh, my goodness. How do you do that? Do you know what I'm saying? Because it, it's it's like there's a part of you. You know it's there because I'm saying we budget, right? There's a part of you that just said, I wish we could have a little bit extra. Just a little bit. Just, just $50 under would be amazing. But it's always... Right to that thing, so I open it up sometimes, and I'm, you know, I pull it out, and I'm like a little afraid to look at how did she do this month, because she keeps her records really good, you know, and then sometimes it will be over, and then I'll call her in, and she'll be like, oh, but I took it from this one and did it over here, and I did it, and I'm like, oh, okay, I see you, have to repent real quick, but I'll just be honest with you. That day, I'm just telling you because I pay my bills on the first, right? On that day, I wouldn't describe it as a joyful day. I just wouldn't, you know, looking at the credit card bill, looking at the AT&T bill, looking at, like, I don't have it naturally, but I know God is with me. Amen. And when the bills are paid, I'm full of joy and I'm thankful. And then I start thanking the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you provided for us. But let's just be honest. It doesn't feel joyful like it does the day you get paid. And you're starting your weekend, and you're understanding, like, man, I got more than enough. I can take care of it. It's always when you have to give an account for it that it gets tough. This is what the Bible is saying to us our joy will never be taken away. We have to learn how to keep it, even on bill day. We have to learn how to keep it on, on days we go to the funeral. I was uh, going to my friend's funeral. You guys know this, but it bears repeating. My uh, best friend for uh, over 20 years passed away just a month ago. It went from uh, a 24 hour post of pray for him, he's in the hospital, it's serious, to within that 24 hours, he's passed. So just imagine that my best friend for over 20 years, I never cried. For somebody like I cried for him, and I've lost grandparents. I lost my sister. It just didn't hit me the same. Uh, My sister, I wasn't close to. She was from my mom's other marriage, so I didn't grow up with her. But this one, like I've spent like a good amount of my life. You know, you know, twenty years. That's a lot of your life, you know. And man, I knew him when I was single. And he he lived in the house with me, and we had memory after memory. And and 20-year-old friends don't grow on trees. It's not like I can just pick one of you up today, put you in my pocket, and say, well, you've replaced Brandon now. It's going to take 20 years to fill that void. Everybody listening to me. I don't want to make you sad in church, but I just want to be honest with you. I still felt joy in the midst of that saddest day. I felt, Joe, I was weeping uncontrollably. I almost thought I was going to faint. You ever seen somebody weep and they faint? Honestly, I thought I was going to be that person because I just kept weeping. I know, bro, you, I'm disappointing you as a man right now. But, but I almost fainted, my brother. I did. I was like, oh, and I just kept crying. And my knees were buckling. I was emotional. My wife was looking at me. Man, I couldn't cry. I didn't want anybody to see me cry because I have an ugly cry. I'm going to have like an ugly cry. I have an ugly cry. I don't have a soap opera cry. It don't look cute. You're not putting me on the telenova or whatever, telenova, or whatever. I'm not crying like that, man. I'm like, I'm like crying. So I'm putting my hands in my face, man, and every, I don't mean to be gross, but it's not. It's dripping everywhere. But as I would come up for breath, I would come up for breath. God is like, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Joy was still with me. I'm being honest with you. It feels like that sometimes. Because I don't want to paint a picture. Oh, God's joy is always with me, and you're going to go to a funeral singing and dance. That's not how we do it. That, that's not what real life is going to feel like. Somebody cheats on you. A, a beautiful marriage here ends. I don't want to speak that over anybody. I'm just saying we've walked through it with people. Someone goes sideways, leaves you, leaves the kids. I'm not saying we're going to feel like jumping up and down. Well, Jesus is with me. I'm okay. Everything's all right. No. You're going to have to go through times of grieving. But here is the difference, brothers and sisters. You're doing it with the joy of the Lord. How many today will make a covenant with God that no matter how bad things get, no matter how sad life gets, you're going to let the joy of the Lord be your strength? Amen. That's what he's teaching them. Verse 23, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. I believe what he's referring to there is the day when he has now ascended into heaven and this is now the new covenant we're living in. It will not have to be earth, uh, uh, person to person on earth. You will no longer ask me anything like they had been at that point. Very truly, I tell you, my... My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So now you can go directly to the Father. This is what's special about Jesus ascending to heaven and sitting at the right hand of the Father is now we can go directly to him. Remember, we were separated from him in the garden, now restored to him. And he's saying, that's what it's going to be like. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be what? Complete. Somebody say complete thank you now before some young child goes home and asks god for a new pony and gets upset because they don't get one go to first john chapter 5 verse 13 because you can see Pastor John had to come and clarify what Jesus meant because some people probably would have been like, Man, Jesus said I could ask for anything and I get anything. I want a Lambo, Jesus. My daughter wants a pony. We want to live in this kind of a house. Now notice what, what John had to clarify what Jesus meant in that passage. He said, This is the confidence, verse 14, we have an approaching God that if we ask anything according to his what? Yes. Somebody say his will. Amen. According to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. And the sad thing is here, my brothers and sisters, I have to say this, is that it's not always God's will in the greater sense of life to take away all of our problems. I do believe that God wants to prosper us. I do believe God wants to heal us. But God's will encompasses a world of evil. That we had once chosen the Garden of Eden through our great, great, great grandparents. And so now God works this evil in our lives through our good. So it doesn't mean every single bad day goes away because we pray. And so sometimes people wrestle with that. Well, I know it's God's will to have a good thing happen to me, but why is this bad thing happening? You have to understand in this world you will have tribulation. That is a part of his will. That doesn't mean that's his greatest desire for you. That's just how he works out the bad decisions we made as humanity and gave us a free will. So that free will we gave that broke humanity's uh, destiny, God has repaired for his glory, but you will travel through valleys. How many can understand that? Amen. I know some people can't. It just messes up their head. If he's a good God, why does he allow good things to ha- bad things to happen to good people? They just can't filter that. They even though the English words I said made sense, it's not actually even illogical. Trust me, this is a big issue with atheists. It's called the problem of evil. The problem of evil by the top atheist. Atheistic philosophers has been debunked. Even the atheistic philosophers go, you cannot say that God is not good because evil happens because God could have reasons you don't know of. Can I hear an amen? This is from atheist philosophers. This is not just from Christians. I'm telling you the truth. It is no longer viable even in academia to bring this up as an argument. The reason is, is because the person who is saying bad has happened to me, how can this turn for good? It can't. Therefore, that must mean mean God is bad. They are presupposing that they know all the mind of God, past, present, and future. And they can't. And so the atheist sees that this now fails. And so it's a redonkulous objection. So the only objection that people now have, if you're talking about the scholastic world against God in the problem of evil, is the emotional one. And they'll be honest with you. They'll say, I cannot prove this logically. It's wrong for a good God to allow evil. They'll say, we, we understand that. But emotionally... It makes us feel as if God doesn't care, and this now becomes an objection against God because if God cared, why would people go through the Holocaust if God cared? So they make an emotional argument. Everybody say emotional. But here's where that one backfires. How many know you need to be a person to have emotions? (laughs) Dogs don't really have them. They're just acting on instinct. So if there is no God, what's your problem with evil then? (laughs) You're just an animal going through life, molecules in motion, right? So the very fact that you have a problem with evil shows that you're a human, which presupposes there's a God. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ is the problem solver to the problem of evil. And what is the answer to the problem of evil? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's the perfect son of God taking all of the evil and offering forgiveness to the world. Oh, y'all just got a Christian philosophy class. Can somebody say amen to that? You didn't have to pay tuition for that. I'm not trying to boast or brag. I'm just saying you got some goodies right there. So that's why when we say, ask God, and then according to his will, it will be done. It's not a cheap trick of the Christian to try to say, well, it's just like spinning a wheel or throwing your coin into the wishing well. No, no, we're we're literally trusting God in this. And so often when we do align ourselves with that will of God, we see that miracle. We see that amazing thing happen. But when we don't, we have to be prepared and say what Jesus said before he went to the cross, not my will, but what? Your will be done. And for the Father's will in Jesus' life at that moment was to what? Go to Six Flags after church? Get a funnel cake? No, no, no. It was to go to the cross. There's been many Christians in this world that have had to surrender that will. God, I don't want to lose my mother to cancer, but your will be done. Lauren had to say goodbye to her mother. Christian woman died of cancer. And yet you have crack addicts out here outliving the mother. You see what I'm saying? That's an emotional appeal against the existence of God. How could God do that? This one went to church. He gave her tithes and offerings. She was amazing. She died of cancer. This one got a lucky break and didn't get the cancer, or or, or if he or she did, they they got the, the treatment, and now they're out here smoking crack, being crazy. How could there be a God? We just explained it to you. I just explained it to you. God allows evil for his greater good. That is not a logical contradiction. I didn't say God allows a square to become a circle and be called a square circle. That is a contradiction. This is not a contradiction. It's just very simple, but it will blow your mind. God allows bad in good people's lives for his good. Let me give you one more example of this. How would we ever understand as a humanity the pain of sin and the consequence of disobeying God unless we saw hell on earth? Every time you hear of a child dying, every cancer diagnosis is not supposed to make you shake your fist at God, but to go to your knees and say, oh, God, have mercy on us. You didn't create a world for us to be like this. We sinned, and now we are in a world of destruction and pain. Oh, God, I need you. And the Lord, Lord, the, the, the few years that I'm here, the breath that I breathe, may I breathe it for you. Now you know what C.S. Lewis said, one of our great Christian philosophers. He said, now you learn something that you never would have learned before you learn courage. Courage is what faith looks like when it steps off the boat to start walking on water. Courage is one of the great attributes of God. And if you remember when we read those who go to the lake of fire, one of the first things it said, but to the cowardly. You see, cowardice is a sin. Courage is a divine attribute that we share in with God. Somebody say courage. How would you know courage unless you faced evil? And so God in his wisdom and sovereignty has allowed us to face the worst of this world so that we can have faith and courage. And that is important to us. And that will be valued. Listen to me, brother and sister, please let me get your attention quickly in closing. That faith, that courage will last longer than your suffering. And be rewarded. Everybody tracking with me? Well, I didn't ask. You've heard people say, I didn't ask for this. I would rather not have the reward of courage than to go through this. It's not your choice. Now go through it. It's like the Lord of the Rings quote. Frodo, no great people ever ask for hard times, but it's the hard times that make them great. I messed it up, but you get the point. And that's how he had to carry the ring. We don't ask for it, but now we're here. Do you think our ancestors asked for World War II? No, but they had to go. Some died just on the, on the boat. One of my friend's grandmother lost her brother. She's 91 now. He was telling me about this. And she's going to Normandy to see where she lost her older brother. Imagine that. This is where I lost my brother, whatever that is, 70-plus years ago. Because he stormed off that beach so the next one behind him could keep running, courage. See, courage is something God wants us to have in the face of evil and to see the light shining even in the midst of darkness. And when we're in heaven, that reward of courage will last longer than our pain because we're going to be with him for a lot longer. Amen? Now, going back to our passage quickly in closing, please. Now he says to them, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. This is why we pray in Jesus' name. Verse 25, though I have been speaking figuratively, and he had been using a lot of figurative language, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will even ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. In other words, you're going to have a relationship with my Father now through me, by my name. I came, or excuse me, you believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Verse 29, then Jesus' disciples said, you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. No more parables now, right? Now we can see that you know all things. How many things does Jesus know? All things. And that you don't even need anyone to ask you a question. Why is that important to know that the disciples recognize he knew all things? And Matthew 24, they asked him about the end times and he said, the angels don't know and the Son of Man doesn't know. And people use this to mock our Jesus and say, if he was God, how did he not know? What he was doing was limiting his ability on earth to be a human like us. That doesn't mean he still wasn't God. He just limited his abilities. How many know when I wrestle my five-year-old, how many know I'm limiting my abilities? Well, let's really wrestle. Okay. And I throw him through the roof. What did that just prove? Nothing. Jesus is not here doing magic tricks. He's humbling himself. That's why even when you see the crucifixion, what is the crucifixion? Him allowing himself to be crucified. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down and have the power to rise it up again. Amen? And so here is a defense of the divinity of Christ in John that answers the accusation of Matthew. At the end of Jesus' teaching ministry, he's no longer figurative. He's no longer speaking to them in ways that can be confusing and they now understand, okay, we get it. You came from the Father. You're the on, and you know all things we get it now and you've been here for this purpose so that you can die for us so that you can relate to us that's the purpose this makes us believe that you came from God verse 31 do you now believe Jesus replied a time is coming <laughs> how many love Jesus by the way how many knows he loves you even though he rebukes you All right, so they're all excited, right? I just got to build this up a little bit because I feel the emotion of this. Like, we get it, Jesus. You know all things. You're awesome. And he's like, you believe now? Okay, a time is coming and in fact has come when you'll be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone for my Father is with me. How many love Jesus and his rebukes? He loves us enough to tell us the truth. He's like, guys, I know you say you believe, but you're about ready to run all over the place and be scared, now, we know, thankfully, John comes back and spends those last moments with him, but they all ran away. They were afraid. Even one, as the, the guards tried to grab his, his cloak, uh, he was so forceful in getting away. The Bible says he ran away naked. How many know you're scared if you're running away naked? Amen. That's Who's that guy running away naked? Well, that's one of Jesus' best friends. Some friend. But Jesus knew it. Jesus knew our weaknesses. Jesus knew what, what, what these disciples' weaknesses were. Even Peter, like, I'll never leave, and he's cutting off ears, and he's doing all that crazy stuff. By the time he sees how they're handling Jesus, he denies Jesus three times. Verse 33, highlight this, please, as the keyboardist comes. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Everybody say, in Jesus. In Jesus you may have Peace. In this world, you will have what? Vacations. Is that what it says? In this world, you will have what? Bonuses and win the lottery. One more time, brothers and sisters. In this world, you will have trouble. Thank you. But take heart, be of courage. I have overcome the world. Do you see how that ties together with what we were mentioning before, all things working together for good? He speaks very clear to us. In this world, you are going to have trouble. But be of courage. That's what take heart means. Some of your translations will have that. Be of courage. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Today's message was based on that passage, that the grief will be turned into joy. And so today, whatever you're going through, can I encourage you as a fellow traveler through a world that is oftentimes full of trouble, can I encourage you today to let God's joy give you peace. To look to Jesus in the cross. When we do that, we'll sense on the inside a courage that we did not have before. If time would allow me, I would tell you of stories of those who face the most terrible situations in life, but they did it with courage because they knew Jesus was with them. There's a story of a uh, young convert to Christianity and as he gave his heart to Jesus, he was in India. His family denounced him and said, if you become a Christian, we'll, we'll kick you out the house. We'll make you leave. You won't have any inheritance with us. You'll have nothing. You know, the little bit that they had, they would give it to their children. But you'll have none of this. You'll be homeless. And he said, I cannot deny Jesus. I have to follow Jesus. And as he would go from village to village talking about Jesus, he would live from whatever they would give him because that's all he had to do. I mean, he had, he had no job. He's in India. It's a nation of poverty. If you don't have land, you can't farm. If you don't have animals, you can't milk them. You know, he had nothing. So he said, I might as well just go and preach. So he's going from town to town, village to village. And so often where he would end up, they would have the same response, if not worse, beat him, curse him out, uh, cause him to, to leave in shame. And India is still a great place of persecution. So pray for them. Just recently, they were burning churches there again. Pray for India. And so, in one of those episodes of him leaving a village to follow Jesus, he wrote that famous song I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none may follow, still I have decided to follow Jesus. You see, he took courage. I was listening to a story the other day of a sister in Indonesia who gave her heart to Jesus. Same thing had happened. She was kicked out of her family, beaten, and denied all of the rights of her inheritance. And yet she decided to follow Jesus. I'm reminded today of stories of people even in my own life who I've watched. Some of you even in this church who have decided to follow Jesus no matter the cost. Let us be encouraged by those stories. Amen? You're standing around people who have left some things to follow Jesus. And then there are stories of those who, yeah, they have a a supportive family or people around them who are excited about them being Christians, but they've gone through some very hard times. And yet they encourage us to follow Jesus. Our worship leader, Des, you see her dancing? How many know she loves Jesus? (laughs) Amen. We love you, sister. She's given up so many things to follow Jesus and had to have faced hard times to have that joy in her heart that's her decision today I have joy I'm not going to look at you know, my baby daddy and what he did for my kids that I had with them I don't mean to put you out there like that girl (laughs) but she's got some baby daddies not in the kids lives and we've adopted those children Vinny has adopted those children but she's not sitting here thinking man where's that dude at I mean obviously he needs to get his life right but whether or not his life is right, she's going to raise those children for the Lord. How many moms can say amen to that? That's a real life for Jesus. A mom dealing with a dad that's not present, that's, that takes courage. And then there are young people in this church. Some of you I could call out by name, but I don't want to uh, take more time than I need to today. But I wish you could come up and tell your testimonies of what you know our teenagers go through as they serve Jesus in this world. Having their professors mock their faith, put them down, and yet they're serving Jesus. Brothers and sisters, learn from from these testimonies. Even on your job, if they mock you, stand up for Jesus. Even if you don't have people around you supporting you, stand up for Jesus. It's worth it. It's worth it. There is nothing in comparison to facing your troubles with Jesus. As we've said here many times in this church, I would rather face my troubles with Jesus than without Jesus. Because they still have troubles in the world, don't they? Don't non-Christians still get cancer? Don't non-Christians still have people cheat on them and reject them? Don't non-Christians still have fights and arguments with people they love? Right? Non-Christians still go through trouble in this world, do they not? And don't non-Christians die like the rest of us? They have to say goodbye to those they love? So they have trouble in the world just like us. But what they don't have is the courage and the joy that Jesus gives. And so what the Bible says to us through Christ today is that we are to show the world in their times of trouble what courage looks like. What it looks like on our job. My dad told a story one time about him and his co-worker. They had started an accounting business, and I probably don't have all the details right. My dad listens to the sermon, so please forgive me, Dad. I'm going to go a little evangelistically here. But the bottom line is they had put out all of their money for this equipment. And back then, it was a big deal to supply offices as an accountant with what they needed. So if I'm your accountant and you have an office that I'm helping get set up, you need a printer to give me the documents. You need a computer. So my dad would work with those products. Well, something happened in the business. I don't remember the details. Either the customer fell through or the price changed on them, but they were stuck with thousands of dollars worth of equipment. And if it wasn't going to be sold, if it wasn't going to be taken care of, it was going to crush this entire business. And my dad said to his partner, we're going to pray and we're going to trust God. And God brought them through, and that business became successful, I believe, even today with multiple locations as my dad sold it to his partner. But do you have that kind of courage, brother? Come on. The whole business is falling apart, and you look at your partner going, hey, man, I don't know how this is going to work, but we're going to pray right now. We're going to face it together. And that's what I say to you about our nation. I don't know how we fix it all. I don't know how we go, go back to leave it to Beaver. I, I don't know how our kids stop shooting and killing each other. I don't know how we help everybody understand the proper gender and what uh, sex is meant for. I don't know the details of that. But here's something that I do know. In this world, I will take heart and be of good courage because I know Jesus has overcome it. I know Jesus has overcome violence. Jesus has overcome perversion. Jesus has overcome corruption. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If you believe that, would you stand up with me now? Would you give Jesus a great big hand clap of praise and say, I believe. Come on, Jesus, you have overcome the world. Abandoned altar workers, would you come in an attitude of prayer? Let's apply that work today. First and foremost, if you yet do not know Jesus and you're still in a state of grief, separated from God, would you ask Jesus into your heart to forgive you of your sins? Talk to the Father in his name. Say, Father, forgive me. I have sinned. Jesus, change me and give me joy. Give me a new life, Father, through the name of Jesus, through the power of Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Christ the rest of us here today who are following Christ but you might be struggling today you're going through a hard time would you just raise up your hands right now and say Jesus turn my grief into joy I'm not ashamed to ask I'm not embarrassed I need you Jesus come on just raise up your hands if you're in the middle of a turmoil it doesn't matter where it's coming from but you're trusting Jesus to turn grief into joy few moments right now hands are being raised I'm praying for you right now Come on, if your hands aren't raised, just take, take uh, uh, courage knowing this. One day they will be raised because you're, fa- you're, you're going to face a time like this. So I pray for those who have their hands raised. Father, encourage them in the name of Jesus today. Help them to take heart. Help them to find the faith in your word today, in your promises, to stand on who you are and build their life even in the midst of these crazy situations, you see them, you know them, you know the tears, you know the frustration, you know the doubts. Father, I pray right now through the, through the pain that you bring the joy in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And then the rest of us now, raise up your hands if it hasn't been raised already and now pray for a world that's hurting. Aren't you grieving for this world? Aren't you in pain for this world? It, it, doesn't the news just hurt you every time to grieve you? Don't get numb to it. I know we gotta you know, cut it off at certain times, but be honest with those emotions. Doesn't it hurt to see what's happened in our culture? Would you right now lift up your hands to the Lord on behalf of our city and pray for the violence to end. Pray for the corruption to end. Pray for the 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 perversion to end. Pray for the broken families to end. We're not just a church that preaches about it. We pray about it and then we go out and do something about it. That's why we stand in front of abortion clinics because we'll adopt children. That's why we stand out in front of high schools. This week I'll be at one Friday. We stand out there offering them Jesus Pray for them right now, though, before we go. A few more moments. Father, you see the need of our city. You see the need of our people.